anytime a great musician dies, you know, we lost Robbie Robertson, founder of the band, a month or so ago. And every time a great musician passes away, I think about just the musicianship, the creativity, and it makes you wonder, you know, what, what if that could be transferred? I mean, how cool would it be if you could just kind of, I don't know, if there was a USB port for like Tom Petty, you just plug in, transfer it to yourself, and you didn't have to go through all the pain and the suffering to learn to play a guitar or write songs. How cool would that be? Be pretty stinking cool, so I think. My name is Randy Cantrell. Welcome to Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. Website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Thank you for clicking play. Stay with me, and by the end, my promise to you is I will do my best. Okay, I'll give it a good effort. Best, that may be asking a whole lot. I'll give it a solid effort to make sure that you too are happy that you click play by the time we get done with this. I've been thinking a lot about, well, I can tell you what got this started. I got tickled the other day listening to like a 34-year-old guy going on and on with retirement advice. He wasn't retired. I just, I just, I'm watching this YouTube video and I, I'm catching myself looking at this guy as he looks into the camera and he's giving all of this sage advice. Well, he thought it was sage, evidently. And I'm, I'm having to remind myself, he's serious. He's, he's, he, he. He's not only serious about the advice that he's giving, he's serious about he's serious about giving this advice. And I'm like, at 34, I never crossed my mind. Well, welcome inside the Yellow Studio. These are the kinds of things that we deal with here. Coming to you from Dallas Fort Worth, Texas. I was reading this article the other day about a 68-year-old guy. And as an awful lot of older folks, unretired, he unretired. That, that's a thing, you know, people unretiring. And I, I don't know that it's got any – it may have a technical definition. It's people that they quit working, but they end up going back to work doesn't mean they go back to the same kind of work. They may go back to very different work. Uh, but in thinking about, so a 68-year-old, and he unretires, and he's he's sharing his wisdom. And then there's a there's a person half his age, 34-year-old, and he's, he's going on and on. And you can find people in their 20s. You can find people in their – you can find a lot of younger people uh, giving retirement advice. And I'm not – I'm not criticizing the advice. I'm not even criticizing the fact that younger people are, are giving 
said advice. It's just interesting to me. And what I guess really prompted today's show, my son and I were having this conversation. He just celebrated this year a 43rd birthday. And we were having this conversation about particularly old men because, well, okay, we're both guys. And I, I am the old man in his life. I'm the old man. I'm not the only old man in his life, but I'm the old man in his life. So I do have a, a prominent position. And I've earned it. I've earned it. I've, I've worked for it. And I've earned it, and it's completely up to him to give me that that preface of the old man. But we were talking... Uh, I was reminiscing with him about myself as a young guy in my teenage years, how I fostered relationships with grown men, men that were, were much older than me because I wanted to learn from them. And as I was reminiscing about that, both of us realized kind of the point of the conversation. I just don't experience that much. And I haven't seen it much in the last 20 years or so. I'm not talking about me. I'm in no way offended that, I mean, if I can be the old man for my son, that's plenty good enough for me. I, I don't need to be that for somebody else. Just remarking about the viewpoint of people who've been further up the road, they've lived a day or two longer, and they've just got some experiences and insights that might, might not, but they might be valuable. I'm watching one of these true crime shows. It was a show about a woman who was murdered. Some guys were going to, they were going to rob a drug dealer. And in the middle of the night, they kicked the door in. They got the wrong house. They just got the wrong house, and for whatever reason, the main perpetrator figured, okay, this older woman who was, I think, in her 60s, she's seen us, and so he just he executed her on the spot. And they were talking to him. He was in prison, but she happened to be an identical twin, and her, her surviving twin made a comment about having learned things from their parents and the kind of childhood that they had, which was, was pretty ideal. And she was here. She was now 80 ish years old and talking about the difference that that made in her life. And here she is this old woman, but the difference that it made she and her sister growing up as kids and listening and learning from their parents and their grandparents and the older people in their life. And it's a sentiment that I have expressed a ridiculous number of times, especially at church. I've said it publicly. I've said it privately, and I'll say it as frequently as I can say it. The old people in my life are not responsible for my bad decisions. They're not responsible for my bad behavior, but I am who I am in a positive sense because of them. It's because of the old people that were in my life 
that I had any advantage at all. It, it the the debt of gratitude, I can't measure it. I can't measure it. I was rehearsing with my son. I was about fourteen or so, and I re- really began to lean into what would grow into some of the more serious old man relationships. I was leaning hard. I was leaning hard. There was a particular older guy that I really had admiration for, and I I leaned really hard into forging a relationship that ended up lasting until he passed away some years ago, and he was one of a handful. I've talked about them before, and I won't rehearse it all here, but that I kind of got this thing going. Where did we, you know, my son and I were kind of in this conversation questioning, why doesn't that happen more? Why don't people do that more? And I made the remark, words to the effect, when we're young, we always feel like we pretty much got it figured out, I suppose. But you're listening to a guy, you've you've clicked play on a, 66-year-old guy that did not feel that way when he was 26, much less at 66. I, I never did feel, yeah, I, I know the answer to this. I always was looking for wise counsel. I was always looking to hear what someone's perspective was, and I was not bent toward pleasing somebody i wasn't bent toward i, I want to find out what they think and i want to do what they think it, it it didn't have anything to do with that it didn't have anything to do with so much of the trash that you hear today the head trash that you hear today of people that are being consumed with wanting approval and for me it was i want to make the best decision and i don't know that i'm in the best position to make the best decision I don't know that I'm seeing things as accurately or as clearly as I would like to see them. I want to get this right. For me, the outcome was so crucial. I wanted to get it as right as I could get it. I wasn't plagued by inaction in that, well, I'm not sure if that's just going to be perfect. And so I really don't want to, you know, I don't want to do anything just yet. I just had developed some relationships with some people that I trusted, people that I absolutely knew had my best interest at heart and wanted the best for me and wanted me to be my best. And when they spoke, I listened. I listened. Did I always do everything they said? No. But I absolutely listened, and I absolutely took it into account. Because I also learned we're all we're, we're just different people. We're different people. We... we we come onto the planet at different times in our life. We have different personalities. We have different skill sets. We have different loves and ideals and passions and beliefs. And we've got different fears and we've got different insecurities and all the rest of it. And we have a different group of people that entered our life and that we grew up being influenced by, as well as circumstances and situations that have come up in life that have influenced us. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty baffled by the 32, 34 year old that with great confidence, uh, will 
spew forth all kinds of advice, and I'm thinking, I completely understand the financial thing. I I, I would happily listen to a 34-year-old give financial advice uh, given that they have achieved some financial success. So from a financial perspective, that's not for me where the issue is. What the issue is is at 34, you don't have a clue what it is to be 66. I'll go you better. At 60 years old, you don't have a clue what it is to be 66. You got more of a clue, but you still really don't have. It's just not where you're at in life. And until you're there, it can't be your perspective. It just can't. It can't. The 34-year-old, this particular 34-year-old, didn't yet have a wife or children, much less grandchildren. That's different. Didn't have a three to four decade career at something. Hasn't lived that long yet. So there's just a a ton of perspective that goes with us. The point, there are perspectives that can benefit us even if they are not our current perspective. Could an 80-year-old man teach me anything? Oh, yeah. They, they could probably, they could teach me more than I even understand at this point. So, because they have been 66, but I haven't been 80. So, there's just these differences. And there's also this, this element of time. Lots of conversation about the economy. Lots of conversation about the American and the global political scene. These are unprecedented times. So for us to look back and say, well, you know, history, this and history, yes, I believe in history being a great teacher. But in so many cases, these are unprecedented times. I mean, what with wokeness and everything else that's going on, these are unprecedented times. You seen this photograph, this photograph of Jill Biden, President Biden's wife. I mean, she is just with some kind of ridiculous. Well, we would have thought so in years past, ridiculous looking characters. It's, you know, I mean, when the White House is entertaining drag queens, we have, we have just reached a level of idiocracy that if you would have asked me 20 years ago, this is where you'll be in 2023, I would have said, Okay, yeah, maybe I would have said, yeah, okay, I could see I could see that. It matters. All of this matters. This context matters. It's interesting to me the uh, 68-year-old unretiree one of the things that he talked about there was an article that was written and he talked about there's this myth that our life, especially as we're younger, that our life can just kind of be this linear path because we're, we're always thinking about forward progress. We're always thinking about tomorrow's going to be better. Uh, hopefully most of us are hopeful and we're optimistic and that's the intent. And I believe in that. The reality I freely admit is much different, but I still think that that's for me, that is still the best approach. The best approach is still to approach every day as though it will be better than yesterday. 
I would love to tell you that I've got such discipline in my life that I can approach it that way and add to that. Now, what am I going to do? What's my determination to make it so? And some days I'm more determined than other days. And some days I'm not determined at all. (laughs) But you talk to older people. And if any younger person were to ask me, my life, I don't know anybody's life who did follow this linear path. And so it's interesting to me when I hear the 34 year old talk about here's, here's how we're going to do this. Here's the ways that we can, we can make retirement work and here's what you should do. And I don't criticize the fact that what he lays out is a linear path because come on, it's the ideal. But there's just there's just this degree of naivete that that you can see and that you can hear in that he truly believes that life is going to teach him otherwise because nobody's life is that way. There's there's been a number of conversations that I've I've had in recent months. Well, really since last summer. I, I don't know why. Maybe it just I don't know. Maybe it came to the top of my attention span. Maybe it's always been the case. This talk about people in my generation who kind of stumbled, stumbled into a career mostly. And the thought that some of these younger folks, they're not doing that. They're, 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 (laughs) I've heard it. I've heard it said repeatedly. I'm not saying that I agree with this. I'm just repeating what I've heard. That these, these people in their 20s and 30s, especially in their 20s and 30s, their behaving with so much more intentionality and purpose. And uh, like when it comes to architecting a career. Whereas my generation, we just, we just kind of fell into whatever we fell into. <laughs> I don't disagree that some of us fell into what we fell into, but there, there, there was a reason and there was some purpose and intentionality into why some of us fell into the things that we fell into. You know, I mean, it wasn't just like we were blind pigs out there, you know, rooting around for a truffle and stumble bummed around. And some of us found one, some just found acorns and some just found empty pecan holes. Um, some of us were a little bit more intentional than that. It's just, it's an interesting perspective to me, but it's not lost on me. I was a teenager when the sixties generation was coming to a close. So in 1969, when Woodstock was underway in the late summer of 69, I was 12. Well, that's, You know, to say that I was a a child of the 60s, I wasn't. I was a little kid of the 60s. So it's more appropriate to say I'm a child of the 70s. Well, in the 60s, there was the Vietnam War and there was it was in the 70s, too. But, you know, the real protest songs and the protest movements and all that were were very, very, very steeped uh, in the mid to late 60s. And we're really winding down by the time I was driving age. I don't know. What year did the Vietnam War end? 73, 74? I should know that. But I watched so much of that war on TV, you would think I would remember. 
but I don't. And those kids that grew up in the 60s absolutely positively knew that, you know, they, they had it right. And I'm, I'm not supposing that our generation was any different, and I don't suppose today's generation is any different. I suppose all young people approach it through a very critical lens and looking at older folks as though, yeah, y'all so don't have a clue. We've so got this much more figured out than you guys do. And it's only until you get to be older that you realize, no, 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 genera- no, genera- no generation in their 20s had it figured out. They, they, they all thought they did. We all thought we did. So it's just kind of interesting to me. It's also interesting, especially in the business ranks, when you realize that I think I was reading the other day that the average exit of, say, a business owner who decides, okay, they've got an opportunity to, to get out, to cash out, to take their chips off the table, you know, pick whatever metaphor you want. It's close to 60. I think it's 57, actually. And the same article that I was reading said that the average entrepreneur, I guess the average person that, you know, founds a, a business is basically the age of my son, you know, 42, 43 years old. And we've got it in our head. Well, they're, you know, they're 17, they're 18. I mean, come on. If you hadn't got it all figured out by the time you're 22, you're old. You're getting long in the tooth. You know, I mean, come on. It, this isn't women's gymnastics here. <laughs> this is this is business building and, and things. And I don't know. I just started really getting preoccupied with this whole timeline thing, which is kind of sort of the topic. This timeline of life that we're on and our perspectives and our viewpoints, depending on where we are on that timeline. And I'm wondering, and I, I've tried my best to recreate in my own head. I have a difficult time doing that because I may be an outlier. And the outlier part of me is I don't remember a time where I felt like. I had a lock on it. I don't remember a time where I felt like I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else says. I know what to do. (laughs) And I don't mean that in an insecure way. I don't mean that in a lack of confidence way. I mean that in that I don't need to listen to anybody. I don't need to ask anybody. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need to learn anything. I'm good. I have never had a single day. (laughs) I I haven't had a single day like that ever at any age. And it's interesting to me as I, as I hear people talk now, they could be lying. So there is that, but the people who just act with great confidence and bravado that you know, I'm not going to listen to anybody else. I'm not going to, I, I know, I know what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I've just, that I have, that doesn't resonate with me at all. I mean, it doesn't, it does. I, I can't even fathom what that universe looks like. I really, I really don't. And at the same time, I grew up particularly with a mother who had been really taught, you know, you're somebody, be somebody. And and I don't mean that 
in a sense of represent the family well kind of a thing. But I mean that more in terms of being very, very, very mindful of appearances, being very, very mindful of how you were viewed by other people. So much so that if there was a point of rebellion for me as an early teenager, it was that. It was not caring as much what people thought. Here's the flip side of that coin. I cared deeply. I cared tremendously what a few people thought. Those people that I trusted, those people that I sought relationships, those older people that whose judgment I trusted, who I knew had my best interest at heart, I absolutely positively did not want to disappoint them. I absolutely positively wanted to live in a way that those people would be proud. And I positively absolutely wanted to listen to them and to hear them and to, as best I could, implement what they were telling me. Now, what took me a little bit of time to learn was their context. And that happened over a course of years as I got to know these people and where they came from. Because some of them, for instance, they, they may have endured. I mean, if you take, take my father, anybody that went through the Great Depression and they were old enough for that event to have had some impact on them, they were shaped in some form or fashion by that event because that was such a colossally big, widespread event. It was just going to have an impact. Now, the impact that it would have would depend on the circumstance and depend on how old they were when they went through it, but it, it had an impact. I did not go to Vietnam. I was not drafted. I, I did not serve. But I grew up watching the Vietnam War on television, arguably the first war in history to be televised. I don't, I don't know what impact that had. I came of age with Watergate. I remember the Beatles coming to America. I mean, there are just there are so many of these little events that that happened over the course of my early life. I don't I don't know what impact it had, but it does help paint context. That's not the same context as somebody who grew up in the Great Depression, and so understanding where we're coming from makes a difference. It did for me. And so I worked hard to understand where these old men that were in my life, okay, some came from here, and, and it's different. If you, if you came from California, that's different than if you come from the Deep South. And if you came from the Deep South, well, that's still different than if you came from Missouri or Oklahoma. It's just different. And understanding that matters. But there's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is understanding. And as I talk with people and as I try to coach people about leadership, my leadership recipe is very, it's, it's stupid simple. It starts with curiosity. Well, it starts with humility. Humility to be able to ask questions. Humility to know you're not the smartest cat in the room. And that fosters curiosity for us to ask questions. And those questions lead to knowledge. And that knowledge is great and wonderful as long as you get understanding 
And then once you've got understanding, now we come full circle and we have compassion, a focus on others, our ability to keep that context and to understand and to extend some compassion to others and hopefully to solicit that from them as well for it to be this reciprocal kind of a thing. That recipe is my life, pure and simple. That recipe is just my approach to life, period. So I'm not sitting here saying, well, the 34-year-old, he's an idiot. He doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Oh, super smart guy, probably has made more money in his 34 years than I made my entire life and probably than I ever will make. Hats off. Hats off. It's just interesting to me. The context is interesting. The place on the timeline is interesting. And I guess what is even more interesting to me is the belief that, especially financial success, that if we achieve financial success, then it necessarily means that we've got pretty much everything else figured out. And all you got to do is read enough biographies to know that that's not true. I mean, the number of people who have amassed incredible wealth and have had just horrible relationships, horrible family lives, it's a long list. It's a long list. I first read the phrase, I think it was 1980. Was it 1980 or 1982 when In Search of Excellence came out? It was really kind of the first official business bestseller. And Tom Peters had used a phrase, a monomaniac on a mission. And people like Steve Jobs, people like Elon Musk, these are monomaniacs on a mission. It could be argued Bill Gates. It could be argued Zuckerberg. It could be argued Jeff Bezos. It, it could be argued Warren Buffett. Monomaniacs on a mission. Monomaniacs on a mission. And I'm not saying that they don't accomplish great, great things. But in some cases, not all necessarily great humans. In many cases, no, not, not married to the same woman over the course of their entire life. Now, I understand it could be argued, well, wealth does that. Tremendous wealth can do that. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I've sat across from too many rich people and looked them in the eyes and said, with all the sincerity I can muster, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that you have it, but I'm more pleased that I don't. And I mean it. I mean it. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm grateful for where I'm at. I'm grateful for what I've got. I'm grateful for the successes that I've had. They are ridiculously modest when it comes to, you know, if we want to sit and compare things uh, with many of the, the great successes, and I'm good with it. I'm good with it. It's frankly the way it's the way it ought to be. <laughs> so on the timeline of life, wherever you are, are you a monomaniac on a mission? Or are you something more than that? I'm just going to freely tell you, I, I'm, I don't have the success of the monomaniac on a mission. I'm not a monomaniac. I am on a mission, but that ain't it. And the parable of the starfish is my mission. Now, I want to make a positive difference. And for me, the bigger issue is whether we're 34 or whether we're 68, whether we're 84 
where there were 104. Can we make a difference for somebody? And for me, increasingly, the goal is, can we make a difference that will go into eternity? Can we make an eternal difference for somebody? And the answer to that is we can. We can. Inthypaths.com. Inthypaths.com will take you to a page on my personal website. During the COVID thing, I began to record some sermons that I have written through the years. And I created a, a playlist over at YouTube. But if you go to inthypaths.com, you'll get there. And I've said it before, it bears repeating. If you want to hear somebody way more talented than me preach and teach Bible, then go to letthebiblespeak.tv. Letthebiblespeak.tv. These are important things because these are eternal things. I know there's more to life for many people than that. But we're talking about monomaniacs on a mission. In that sense, I'm a monomaniac in that spiritual things, God-related things, judgment, eternity, that's where my being a monomaniac absolutely positively kicks in. Am I always true to the mission? No, I'm not, because sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes the stuff that happens in this life distracts us. Sometimes the pain and the suffering distract us. Sometimes the the great times, and sometimes the opulence distracts us. And sometimes self-will distracts us. It happens. But I think that those of us that are older on the timeline of life, can absolutely positively provide a value, but only if, only if those who are younger can see that value. And while I, as a youth, felt it incumbent on me to forge and form those relationships with the older folks, and that's mostly how it worked, I don't now necessarily think that's the ideal. I think the ideal is for older people to provide such value that like me, the younger people crave it. And as always, I buried the lead, and that was the lead. What if as an old guy, I'm not bringing the value? What if as an old guy who who loves the parable of the starfish and fancies that that really is how I'm wired because it's true. But if I'm not making a difference, whose fault is that? Yeah, it's my fault. And I think that's true if you're 34 and you might could influence a 12-year-old. So no matter our age, no matter where we are on the timeline of life, can we make a difference? Will we make a difference? Will we provide enough value that that value can be seen, appreciated, and craved? I think the answer is yes. I'd love to tell you that I've done a masterful job of this. <laughs> but you know me too well. I have not done a masterful job of that. It's a work in progress. Well, I hope it's progress. It certainly is a work in process. 
I hope the process is progress, but that's on me. Hey, visit the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. All kinds of, I don't know. There's a hundred episodes I know in your podcast feed. I don't know how many there are at the website, but been doing it a long, long time. And don't forget those links that I mentioned in thypaths.com. Just remember that one. Cause I, I put a link to the other one, the more talented guy. Yeah. There's, there's a link. Go to in Let me make an appeal. I've said it before. I'm going to be doing some video. If you are of the mind to make a contribution, large or small to the effort, I would greatly appreciate it. If you go to leaningtowardwisdom.com, just click the link in the uh, navigation. Support the show. Support the show. I'm trying to raise $1,000 to get a little video and wireless mic rig to do some outdoor. Eh, I would call it vlogging. That, Yeah, let's just stick with that. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's vlogging in the sense that there's this place called Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, that's just drop-dead gorgeous, and it dawned on me, man, there's, I, need to be, I need to be doing some shows and showing this place off. You, you folks need to be benefiting to see this, and I just... So I'm saving up for some type of a little video rig with a, a microphone, and not so you can see me talking, but so that you can see just how gorgeous nature is. So if you care to contribute to that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. My name's Randy Cantrell. LeaningTowardWisdom.com Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Mm-hmm.